Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. My name is Alex Mellon. My name is Zachary Tinker. And my name is Heather Pittman Hobby. And this is episode 100 of Inside Quizzing, a podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 100, you'll note from hearing our guests who are returning guests uh, to the podcast, but also the fact that we are, and actually Jeremy, Jeremy, say hi, Jeremy. Hi. No, you're supposed to say hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. All right. So Jeremy also is a returning guest who is now uh, joining us uh, for the podcast. We are at Internationals 2021, which is in Toledo, Ohio. And we also have a live studio audience, I suppose, if we want to say it's a studio of some degree. And we don't exactly have a topic list. We're just going to really talk about quizzing in general and maybe even specific experiences. We may talk a little bit about stuff that's happened at IBQ 2021. But with that, I'll just sort of open it up to the floor to Scott and our guests. Uh, do you guys, what do you guys want to talk about? We should probably talk about something IBQ, which is not going to be me talking about it. Right, because Scott just got here. So, uh, How weird is it that the Canadian teams aren't here? It is extremely weird, also extremely disappointing. Um, it's an unfortunate. I think the meet has been really good uh, and, and a, a really rewarding thing, but it is definitely lacking um, a, a certain Canadian. A je ne sais quoi. A je ne sais quoi, indeed. <laughs> Well, that's the Eastern Canadian history. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So what are you guys' thoughts about IBQ so far? Uh, I mean, we're, we're just before, we're recording this just before finals. Uh, how, how have your experiences been? What are some of your most memorable, memorable moments? I think we've had a lot of chances to flesh out a lot of rules and uh, opinions on various rulings. We've had quite a few protests, which sounds like it would be terrible, but it's actually the best thing ever because I love it when coaches fight for their teams. Um, and they've all been perfectly reasonable. There hasn't been any ridiculous, like, the coach just doesn't know the rules thing. It's always been, like, a, a debate. Um, and I love to see that. I love to see coaches who know the rules, who want to fight for it, you know, and, and are polite about it. And the, when the officials are polite, it's, it really makes for a, a fun, competitive environment. I think the more competitive it is without sacrificing charity, kindness, the more fun it is. Yeah, I think I'm aware of being what, at least four, four or five protests. We even had one a little bit ago. Just as Jeremy said, everything has been, uh, <clears throat> all, all of the protests have been very recently exciting to see that. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I've only had one protest, and I think that's probably due to my exceptional quiz mastering. And, <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed incredible ruling, just really good at my job, and I think that's that's really what it boils down to, and everybody should aspire to, to do that as well. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, it, it's nice, it's definitely nice when you've got um, the adults behaving like adults and setting a good example for quizzers to aspire to become young adults that are kind, generous to other people. One of the things I think helped with the protest this year is we were all very much on the about uh, interrobook book, and everyone uh, everyone was able to put aside their own district sub rules or anything like that to uh, to make it pretty straightforward for everyone. As officials, we we were all on the same to start with, so that, I think that really. And I was like more <clears throat> challenges and protests. I mean, there have been times, rare cases in PNW where a quizzer gets very challenge happy, and at that point, it's just a discussion with the coach, right? And so, if this if a similar thing happened, then it would just be a discussion. But I would rather invite more and more and then only mm -hmm. if you get like a lot of frivolous ones from a specific you know quizzer or team then you can have a conversation i certainly would rather see it come in a formal setting rather than have it be like during a timeout a coach comes and leans over and complains to you about a ruling that you made like this is why we have the challenging and protesting process so that 
we don't have circumstances where it's just disgruntled adults that now can't do anything about it because they didn't didn't take the opportunity. I will say I do appreciate when coaches come up to us after a quiz and say, you know, I have a question about one particular question. Can you elaborate on it? Sure. Because and I mean, they're not they're they're they might be disgruntled, but they're not they're not provoking me in a disgruntled way. They're they're like I I want to understand your reasoning behind it because sure. they understand like it, it's in the past now. Uh, and I do I do enjoy those conversations. Yeah, I think also along with that though, all of the captains did excellent challenges. They were very very aware of a lot of the nuance and a lot of the um, the ways that rules and decisions have been interpreted in the past, and they're very uh, on top of making those observations, phrasing their challenges well, being respectful, uh, challenging for their team or for others, or just um, just everything you want to see in a challenge. I, I agree with you that the, the attitude is good and the content of the challenges is good. I 100% am with you there, although I would say that I think some of the um, structure of a challenge might be something that that we could we could have more education on in general. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I always want a quizzer to tell me what they would like me to do. Yes, like you can't. You're just going to tell me something that bothers you, but you haven't said, "Hey, throw out the question," or "She should be called wrong," or, or whatever it is. And I really feel like. That's a vital part of it. And I have had to prompt pretty much every challenge I've had, prompt the quizzer to say, like, what would you like me to do with this? Because you're just providing me with information, which is great, but I can't do anything until you tell me what to do. Some of the challenges in, in my room with Griffin, they were also phrasing that part. Good. Yeah, yeah. same in my room. We had some well-structured challenges. I kind of, you know, this, <laughs> this is my bias. Um, I just love well-structured challenges so much, even if I overturn them, that I kind of want to award points to the <laughs> You know, that would create all sorts of terrible incentives. To <laughs> but, but I heard something, I'm just like, that's such a beautiful challenge. And like, I 30% agree with you. I 70% don't. But man, was that a good challenge. I want to give you a little like award, you know? I highly recommend that you start participating as a judge in debate tournaments because you actually can award points for that and it's great. Oh, I got to try. <laughs> so Heather, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I do agree that a challenge sounds better when they include what they want done with the ruling. But hypothetically, let's say their challenge is right, but what they say they want done is like something that can't be done. That wouldn't invalidate their challenge. So, So it's kind of like... The bone, like the meat of it is what they're challenging. And you're probably like, whether you agree or disagree, that like finalizes what you will do about it, right? As an official. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I agree with you that if they ask for something ridiculous, like let's restart the entire quiz, obviously we're not going to do that. I just do really like, I feel like it, it ends up being unfinished and, and maybe there's a level of like lack of confidence that like, oh, now I've been talking for too long and this is uncomfortable. And I would love to encourage quizzers to just, uh, like on the floor march right up to the table tell me exactly what you think take as long as you need to and uh, and let's figure it out but yeah obviously if they're asking for something crazy that that is not we're not going to do but, but also them asking for something crazy which shouldn't invalidate because you're not course. taking everything you know because there have been times where a quizzer challenges something and I am not going to accept the challenge on the basis of what they said. But during my thought process, I was like, oh, there's this other thing that I didn't think of when I made my original ruling. Can I, like, not accept the challenge but also re- change my ruling? And I think we kind of talked about this in the podcast. We decided, like, we just want the right thing at the end. So it might be a little awkward to do that in some cases. But, uh, you know, we don't want to overrule challenge because their call to action was, like, impossible. It's inaccurate, yeah. Or, yeah, right. yeah, actually, earlier today when we had our protest, um, we noticed there was a second mistake in the the question that was in, in question, so to speak, that um, 
that I had made uh, maybe a prompting error as as a quizmaster, and that uh, or the or or I think the quizzer had said something that we we were in debate about whether or not that actually made him incorrect. And, but then that wasn't actually what the challenge was based on, and um, ultimately we didn't we didn't overturn it. And probably it would have been it would have been iffy anyway, but. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to be like, I expected the challenge was going to be based on that, because I realized after I did it, I was like, ooh, maybe that was not okay. And then the challenge was not that, and so then the, the, the debate became around something else, and the possible error fell by the wayside. So if anybody watches back a recording of that, just don't don't give me too much grief. Because you don't want someone to be able to challenge on something they know is in like um, immaterial to invalidate a change of ruling on something of that course. is material, yes. right? So I think that's kind of... We're like... Nothing should be able to be gamed in that way. Yeah, and I would add, with that protest, one thing I would like to see is for quizzers to understand what could happen at the protest. So when all the officials left, I went up kind of explained what was about to happen because some of them had never been in a protest before. And one of the questions was like, so what happens? The quiz gets thrown out. They said, protest the quiz. Then we start over. And so just kind of giving some of that education. Well, here's what could happen. It could be upheld and you throw out the question or maybe reverse the decision. That's really what happens in the protest. There are other extremes that are but just for them to understand, because that really worried a lot of them that they were going to restart the quiz. Well, so it's funny. We're talking about like crazy outcomes. This is going a little outside of IBQ, but when I was a quizzer, I kind of accidentally actually did get an entire quiz reset after question 20 um, because the type maximums and minimums were off. And uh, I challenged, and um, it, it was a new quiz master, if I remember correctly. I don't, I don't remember the details, but I challenged, and I actually kind of got to the end of the challenge, and I, I had in my mind, I need to say what I want done about it. And I realized I have no idea what I want done about it. Do you go back to question like 18? Because there were a few, I think, that were off. Um, mm-hmm. it, the whole thing was wrong. And, uh, and I was just like, I guess we have to redo the quiz because it's like not a valid quiz. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I was probably like 16, you know, and... and uh, not didn't have years of answer judging experience or whatever, and and so I, I recommended it, and um, the quiz master did it, <laughs> which later I reflected and realized that well, and we had had a terrible quiz, and the redone quiz, I think like several members of our team got ninety, <laughs> so we had an excellent redone quiz, and looking back on it, I was like, I feel a little guilty because really that was not what needed to be done, although. Because Master shouldn't have accepted that challenge, you know. What would have been done in a situation like that? You go back as far as it's good. Yeah, and I think you do the minimum damage to, you know, possible. Is that stated in the rule book? No, I was going to say, that might be a a worthwhile thing to add, maybe to the best practices of a, here, if this happens, this should be ruling on a protest. There's always going to be weird circumstances, like, uh, um, I know Cuddy's told a story before about where she was in overtime and every single quizzer had either quizzed out or erred out on the remaining teams and the score was still tied and <clears throat> she had no idea what to do. So she just put everyone back in. It's like, well, that, that sounds reasonable. I don't know. There's no rule about it. <laughs> it is a bit wild. So this is the first time that we've done in-person quizzing in a long time for a lot of us. How long has it been for each of you? Like for me, this is the first in-person meet. I know, Scott, you've been you know, out of the loop a little bit longer just because, you know, geography. But for me, you know, it's been a year and a half-ish, not quite a year and a half. It was February. So a little like 1.4 years or something. But how long has it been for each of you since you've been involved in an in-person quiz meet? Room three, IBQ 2019. Wow. 
Uh, in Great Lakes, we've been able to quiz the inner year in person. Uh, we followed what the school are, we were able to do. I moved out of Central District, so it was also IDQ 29. We did a few unofficial, yeah. informal uh, gatherings with others in the district. PNW hasn't done any in-person uh, districts. So I guess for me, it would be something like, I don't know, uh, seven, eight months ago. Yeah. <laughs> but only twice, I think. <laughs> yeah, in that earlier time. So for those of you, where, you know, it's when it's been a long, or for those of you, Who's, who are not Zach. Um, so you're right. It's been a long time. I, what was your, I'm going to ask you an emotional question. What was it, what did it feel like that first couple of questions in quiz one that you were involved in, or for the first quiz, not not necessarily the one prelim quiz, number one. Uh, what was that like, the emotional experience coming back to quizzing in person finally? It was uh, surreal to look around and see, like, Quizzers mostly, I could see like their whole faces, and I taught I taught school in person this entire year, and very very infrequently saw my students without masks on their faces, and it just it just it it definitely it just felt like like we're back we're back. Also like a little panicky that I didn't know how to do quizmaster anymore. <laughs> Uh, it, it felt kind of like no time had passed. You know, when you, I'd had this experience through several other situations during the pandemic of just like when I'm in place one and then I go to place B and then I return to place one, it almost feels like the place B time didn't exist in a way. Or it, it existed in a different way. So that's kind of the way this felt. Like, of course, we just had our last internationals. It wasn't that long ago, right? Like, here are all of you again. The time is compressed. Yeah, I feel like for me, um, it's kind of funny. I think seeing everyone's faces was just like, yeah, because I haven't been an international since 2016. So even pandemic aside, just to see people I haven't seen in years, except perhaps on on Slack or, or a Zoom screen, right, was just, would have been ecstatic for me anyways. Um, but uh, obviously, of course, just, just seeing everyone's faces is great. But you know what's funny is I kind of had a different, a different feel when I sat down and I got my computer out and I opened up CBQZ and question number one popped up on Paul's screen, the, the quiz master in my room, and I... What I did is I just typed in the words and found the context, and it's like nothing ever changed. I'm looking up the questions so I can answer, judge it. <laughs> you know? um, so it's it's kind of funny. It's both it was both surreal and also like oh, it's the most normal thing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, I want to uh, welcome again our studio for some very clever definition of studio audience. So welcome everybody. Uh, does I'd love to take questions from from anybody in our studio audience. You guys have any questions you want to kind of throw out to us, and uh, either Scott and I, or the panel, or anything that you'd like to discuss about quizzing, about just about anything. The quiz meet, quizzing in general. Go for it. Um, how did quizzing start? How did quizzing start? Zach, do you know? You started it, right, Griffin? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, am, I am very old, but I'm not that old. So Moses uh, went up on a mountain. Right, 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 right. right, right. Um, I'm not. I'm not definitive on this, but I've heard that it really started with Youth for Christ uh, in the '60s, and then from there, a lot of programs saw it, saw that they wanted to do a few things different, split separately, a few things different with their rule book. Um, I was actually just talking with uh, Keith Smith downstairs from Bible Quiz Shop, and he knows just about everyone in every single group of quizzing, and uh, he was talking about just how similar a lot of the quiz bricks are, and just because we have that common uh, starting point. In one of the previous podcast episodes, and it was pretty recent, it was in the 90s, um, I talked about uh, the the sort of the ages of quizzing, and there, we are, 
I think we are in the trailing end of age two of quizzing. Um, and I think I see the beginnings of age three. We're not there yet, but maybe in 10 or 15 years, we'll be solidly into age three of quizzing. But age one was, you know, post-World War II, Youth for Christ kind of uh, movement and so forth. That kind of waned uh, in the 70s. And in the late 70s, early 80s, the, that's when we started to see the, the different denominational groups uh, spring up, CMA assemblies, NAS, and so forth, start to spring up and start to grow. Uh, they kind of, they certainly inherited a lot from age one, and then that's grown up um, over the course of you know a few decades into the 90s and late 90s, and then I think from the early 2000s until now, um, quizzing not just you know in CMA but across a lot of these programs has been kind of in a slow decline um, and maybe a natural decline to. Uh, given everything that's been going on in, in society and so forth. So that's why I'm kind of thinking like we're we're on the cusp-ish of a switch to age three of what quizzing can become. I'm excited and terrified simultaneously of what age three is going to be, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Coming out of the pandemic and going into three as you're calling it, Griffin, what is one you would like to see the program as a fresh start? Um, Oh, one change that I would like to see is the ways that we can share cuisine and how it is described to um, continue to see the programs grow. Again, talking with Keith Smith, um, fortunately he said over the last, um, just from what he can tell, um, we're, we were one of the groups that shrunk the least over the last. He said he's seen numbers from other groups that have dropped significantly more than we have. Um, but that still doesn't care if it's our group or if it's another group. It's really sad to see cuisine decrease anywhere. So I'd like to see ways that we can um, do things to change the way that we're promoting, change how we describe it, and see that latch on to lay ministry leaders. Can I say, sorry, I, I just want to interject. I, I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, Griffin, for those listening at home, um, is wearing a shirt that says, I invented virtual quizzing. I'm sorry. <laughs> and as funny as that is, um, I, think, I, I think I can speak for most people who were aware of the internationals virtual meet we did about this time last year that I think Griffin was a huge part of those numbers not declining. And so, um, again, I don't want to make you blush, Griffin, but I, I just think that was uh, a great move and um, really helped keep engagement. So I think that was a big part of that. And actually, with the virtual cuisine, um, this is something I would like to see us explore at very least. Uh, Bible Bowl um, is offering this next year for groups that don't have a local quiz group that they can jump into. They are just doing a nationwide district of virtual. So if someone in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have a team for a thousand miles or a district, they can at least see what quizzing is and experience it without having to try to start from scratch. And their goal is that would inspire them to start their own. So that would be just one more thing to add on. Yeah, I mean, in terms of changes that I would like to see uh, in quizzing, I I want to say, like, I, we've talked about, like, ridiculous rule changes and stuff, and I always enjoy, like figuring like what would that look like if we change this absurd rule but I think that the thing that I would really like to see change and I think I may be a bit of a broken record on this because I talk about it all the time that I feel like to jump on what Zach said in terms of like broadening uh, increasing our numbers our breadth in terms of where we cover um, I would love to see districts do uh, more make make quiz meets a little bit more than just the competition make them more of an event make them more of a like discipleship slash like fun youth retreat weekend kind of situation um i would i would love to see that be the the norm in in quizzing that was the norm for me when i was 
in quizzing as a quizzer and then has been since I, up until I moved to the dark world of no quizzing in Chicago. <laughs> uh, you guys touched on quite a bit of it. I think three big things we're talking about this this year especially is virtual quizzing, uh, <clears throat> quizzing and um, uh, one other one, quizzing less, uh, fewer churches that are associated with CMA. I think those, those three big trends coming together are going to turn into things for us. Uh, we don't, clearly we'd prefer to be in person, but virtual quizzing is going to have tremendous in certain contexts, and I see where all three. Um, I don't have any, like, huge things. Um, I mean, I think competitively, one thing I, because I always like to think competition, but competitively, I think while just pure size of district is, is the main driver of how competitive a, a district is, if there are things unrelated to size, I want to make them as available and democratic as possible um, because I want every district to be as competitive as they can within whatever their natural needs are. Um, to your point, Heather, I'm, I'm always very interested how different districts run their schedule because of their different um, geographical constraints because um, CMD is so far flung that you have fewer meets and make them bigger and I believe charge individual registration like you know per person for those and I think other districts do finances a little bit different some districts like I think Northeastern maybe Central have like seven eight nine one day meets which obviously makes it a little bit less feasible to make it a big event but it's just it's interesting how you know different districts do different things and I'm not sure if any are necessarily better or if there is a model that's feasible for everyone I know in PNW we have like eight to 10 quizzes per team over our meets, which is significantly more than a lot of other districts. But as a result, we have a lot less downtime. So it's like, oh, a pro on the quizzing side, but a definitely a con on the you know, the other side. Because when I quizzed, we six to eight quizzes and more teams total. So the downtime was way more. Mm, yeah, so I think, I think uh, Zach, Heather, and Alex already uh, hit on probably the most important thing, was how we can better get people involved in the program. And, and whether that's, Alex was bringing up the other languages, reaching out to churches that traditionally have been missed by by our, our ministry, or just trying to get more people involved. I think that's the most important thing. Um, so I won't sound like a broken record. Maybe I'll give the second most <laughs> important thing just to add a little. Um, I'm always looking for ways to make uh, the detailed particulars of quizzing itself better serve the mission statement of, of you know, the systematic study of scripture. We're about the quizzers systematically memorizing books of scripture or portions of it or individual verses, whatever level quizzers are at, and, and seeing the application of that in their lives, right? So, so how can our rule set, how can our question set, how can our behavior as coaches and officials and captains and co-captains and individual quizzers and even spectators and parents, how can, how can everybody foster that mission? And those particulars really matter. Right, that things such as what we um, what we set as the parameters for question types um, indicates something about what we believe quizzers ought to be learning and focusing on. Uh, we've had a lot of little fun debates and discussions amongst the officials at this meet about things like, do we want to encourage quizzers to study lists of questions? Could that be possibly making it so that they're not memorizing verses directly? You know, as much, and maybe so, maybe not. And those things really interest me in particular. Because I'm kind of a nerd, <laughs> but but I like how I like how you know the the structure we create competitively um, can either help or hinder that mission. So let's get more people. Totally, most important thing: get more people, but also let's have them go deeper. So this podcast is called Insight Quizzing, and so certainly we talk about you know 
it's inspired by the phrase inside baseball, right? We're talking about very nerdy statistical-y things. We're getting into the weeds every single episode because that's where we like to be is in the weeds. Um, because, and we, we, you know, I've joked, we are a, a collection of pedantic rulebook nerds. We are pedantic in every way that can be pedantic. Uh, and I have heard the comment from folks outside of the quizzing bubble that, well, if you guys are interested in growth, maybe you should reduce your pedantic level from 11 down to like maybe a seven or something. And I don't think that that's necessarily the, the right course of action. And now obviously I'm highly biased to be, you know, pedantic and increase from 11 to 12, if that were even a thing. But I think what we need to do is explain the pedanticism better than we do. We're, we're, you know, historically very tribal in our pedanticism. And so inside quizzing is, is one way that we're trying to explain that and reach uh, out beyond the confines. But it's one little podcast. I think, you know, being able to have more ways to translate the complexity and the, quite frankly, the awesomeness that is quizzing to people who are unquizzed so that they get a sense of like, well, this is actually really cool and really interesting. And yeah, there's a ton of depth, but I don't necessarily have to understand all the depth to start getting involved. And I can start getting involved and explore the depth at my own leisure or at my own pace or whatever. I'd love to see initiatives uh, that go in that direction. So that's a lot of words to basically say, I'd like to see quizzing become more mainstream without losing any component of the pedanticism that we already have in quizzing. And I, we've talked about some ways of doing that. But uh, that's a big, long podcast in and of itself. Should we make a, a podcast called Outside Quizzing? Yeah, actually, <laughs> Alex, if you're volunteering, I think that would be a wonderful thing. Wait, what is there outside of quizzing? <laughs> well, reaching outside to oh, people there. Oh, okay. Well, quizzing event. Whatever's out there. <laughs> Come on. One foot inside quizzing. One foot the, inside for the, level, for the level four pedantic. Right. Oh, are, any, sorry, go ahead. I think that is the key, though, Griffin, is... Figuring out if the minimum required to like first participate in quizzing is like too much or if it is a good amount. Because like in baseball, you don't have to know about shifts or double switches to start playing Little League, right? So it's like, what is that minimum set to have fun and be some level of competitive? And then it's if you're crazy into it and you want to do all this like pedantic stuff, like you can to try to gain minuscule edges, but it's sure not necessary at the get-go. I would so we've we've talked about this all a little bit, and I think each one of you here have talked about it. With I, my my next goal is to make quizzing more accessible to spectators, and I think that's exactly how you do it. So we talked a couple days ago how football spectators can watch, they can follow along, and it's entertaining. But there are the pedantic people about the rules and the gritty where it's just as fun for them, and I think that's where our difference is right now. It's super fun if you know what quizzing is, how it functions, the rules. You can watch it and it's not fun. But if it's a first-time person who's never seen quizzing walks into it into a room and is watching it, it's so hard for them to catch on, catch on. And just a blur as quizzers are jumping on syllables. So if we can increase that audience accessibility, I think we will definitely start to see that growth pattern as it becomes interesting to start. For sure, because like I'm just searching what I heard, you know, I'm sitting in the audience in CBQZ, and if that was just even simply displayed to the audience, they're like, oh, they jumped on and do not, I'm not finish the verse, and there's like five verses to start with this, you know? Even that without a person commentating would be crazy useful. I had a person visit uh, one of our PMW district meets from my church, kind of like a super into competitive games kind of person, really competitive uh, spectator, 
and he, he wanted to go to support our church's team, but he showed up and he just started asking me question after question, and it was like all the basics, and so I actually sat down with him in one of like our top nine quizzes and explained everything that was happening, and I realized, oh gosh, this is like a several quiz commitment to make sure he understands the basics of what's going on. Why are they just randomly quoting things until the quiz master asks them for their question? Are they guessing? He doesn't know it's in the same verse, you know, um, and all this stuff. And, and I explained it to him, and he was so into it that he showed up to several more meets and didn't watch our church's team at all because we weren't in top nine. He just stayed in, in room one watching the top nine. He's like, when is, when is that going to start? I'll show up then. You know? <laughs> so it was really entertaining to him um, once he knew the rules. And um, I think there's other people, you know, some people are, are less competitive than others, but I think a lot of families would get more into it if they knew what was happening, what their kids were doing, et cetera. Yeah. All right, let's see if we can take another question from our studio audience. Any questions from anybody or comments? Aside from, we actually talked about this the other day a little bit. Um, we So Griffin uh, committed a sin and talked about getting rid of benches which I think is, yeah, even I got know, a gasp from the it's audience. A, yeah. Yeah, Burn the heretic. It's a heretic. Yeah. Burn it was, him. It was Burn awful. Burn him. Um, but I do, I do see a world in which we, we move away from, from benches just because they're, they're expensive and break a lot and awkward and difficult to move around the world because we don't want to, we don't want internationals or the, or the highest level of competition, whatever it, it, it is called in the future. Um, to be stuck in one place, but it's hard to get benches around. And we saw that in, in Florida when we had a room with pads and then had to like shuffle the schedule all the time to try to accommodate that. So I do see a world in which we uh, harness some of the technology that exists in the world to upgrade a little bit from um, the wired benches that are, are just a little light that turns on. But I do think it's important to use to use good judgment and figure out how to how to least disrupt the way that the competition currently exists and the way that people really like it, um, while still figuring out a way to do the same thing with more reliable and easier to transport technology. I I think we're gonna do stuff around um, questions and answers. Like I could see quizmasters recording themselves reading all the questions, and then it is auto stopped, and so then there's no. There's no difference between Quizmaster and the stuff. And then I could also see like using a quizzer, so audio listening to a quizzer, transcribing it being the basis for a ruling. Because we've we've had problems of like, oh, did a quizzer say this loud enough? And like one quizmaster listens better and could hear it, but this other quizmaster didn't, but it's like, or like should they be within X feet of the mic and all this stuff? Um, but it's like I could definitely see a world where did the voice transcription service, you know, and I don't think it's to the level yet, but. Um. Um, Scott, you haven't been around, but this is, this has been a hilarious part of this week is that we've been using a, a transcription service that has done an absolutely tragic, horrendous job. And it, it has pro- proved uh, an excellent uh, source of comedy for us. But actually David read them yesterday as part of the talent show and it was it was thoroughly enjoyable, but yeah, I mean, it'll be a while before we're there, but it's not a bad. And I would say, take idea. that to the next level. I could definitely see a future where we are able to go across the language barrier because we're there are very close technologies. Google has the live transcript translation in your ear with their or their ear pods and everything like that. 
give it a couple more years where that's a lot quicker and a lot we could be in a spot where we quizzing with multiple multi, multiple languages don't know how that works with translations that's not my question but somewhere in the future i could see that being i could see coaching strategy changing well and and along with it the quizzer strategy um as the ability to i guess uh, the the I mean, the technology already exists for this, but the coding projects have not yet been done for tracking statistics on, you know, likelihood of being correct, jumping this number of syllables on this question type, um, like which quizzers are, are solid on which types. So as far as not maybe the technology itself being used in the quiz rooms, but the ability of coaches to coach their quizzers one way or the other might be might look a little different in the future. That would be wild. Like heat maps of expected accuracy for the dog <laughs> quizzes. Now, you know, that the audience can see. You, you can't you can't tell me there aren't like a solid half the coaches here at least that would do it if they had the ability to during the meet. Yeah. Well I mean I've I've talked about Quiz Sage on and off uh, and also procrastinated on it uh, a lot. Um, sorry about that. Uh, it's been a busy last couple of years. Uh, but one of the things about QuizSage that I'm very passionate about is that it shouldn't have a scorekeeping and statistics model that's just hacked together like Z is, but rather actually have something that is um, very data science-y queryable in real time. So the idea being that, you know, uh, if, you, if you're a coach, you no longer have to keep score. You just watch on your phone. The score is kept for you, plus all the stats that are very easily discoverable in real time. Uh, and there's some concerns around that in terms of of, you know, publishing in real time quizzer averages and that kind of stuff, and you know we can we can talk through the the pros and cons of that in depth. I'm sure we will in a future podcast when that tech is available. But the idea that the tech can be a basis for real time coaching support at a at a super level twelve pedantic you know <laughs> scale is is very exciting to me. But then after the fact, uh, you know, like what, what Scott was saying, um, having a system. That where a data scientist can pull down uh, data and start analyzing it and looking for trends and looking for hacks and and analyzing like are there ways that we can be even more pedantic are there ways that we can be even more um, effective in broadening uh, quizzing for the mission of quizzing and on oh, sorry go ahead and like I wouldn't watch poker on television if I couldn't see the probabilities at the end right and so that's kind of what we're hinting at for the audience is being able to have that information and not have to just know it. Know it does. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, and on that bombshell, we are running out of time before we have to start getting ourselves prepped for the championship quizzes for IBQ 2021. So I wanted to thank Scott. I want to thank all of the guests, and I wanted to thank the live studio audience for this first ever live studio audience recording of Inside Quizzing. Uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can and should. It is Our, our account is at Inside Twitter. You can chat with us on Slack in the Inside uh, Quizzing channel of Slack. And if... What? Is your Twitter account actually at Inside Quizzing? Yeah, at Inside... Not at Inside Twitter, which is what you said. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm it's, really, really It's nice really to know tired. that you're fallible, Griffin. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm Quizmaster Griffin, everyone. Yeah, I'm very tired. <laughs> so it is, in fact, at Inside Quizzing on Twitter, where you can uh, follow us, and you should. And also, if you agree or disagree or have any additional comments about anything that we've talked about in this or any of our previous 99 episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org uh, to be able to reach the show. And with that, I will thank you. I will say thank you, Scott. Thank you, panel. Thank you, audience. Thanks, everybody.